0: Welcome to the Grace Life Conference, Session 6, The Believer's Identity, a counseling session with Leela Faber. Here is a counseling session between Leela Faber and a woman named Carolyn. Your identity is very important to you. If that were not so, you wouldn't hasten to defend yourself when somebody attacks you or attacks your reputation. All of us want to have a good identity. And we also want to be acceptable. We spend much of our life trying to make ourselves acceptable to other people. We spend a good share of our life trying to make ourselves acceptable to ourselves. So at this point we'd like to have you open your syllabus to that page that talks about the believer's identity. Who are you? That's the question we're going to be asking in this session. Now the issue of identity is, is is as important in a person's life as the issue of victory. The believer's identity is especially important because historically, Christians have been simply seen as forgiven sinners who have developed self-esteem the same way the world has. Now, how do people normally discover their self-esteem or maybe even try to improve their self-esteem? Well, we have here a list of several things that we think are important to people as they have formed self-esteem now perhaps this is an incomplete list there may be some other things that have been important to you for example you know if you're a woman what your husband thinks about you is of critical importance isn't it and you may have spent your whole life trying to please that man and he could never be pleased but maybe it's the other way maybe you've spent your whole life trying to please your wife and she could never be pleased and so you look at yourself as a failure as a husband But there's other issues that are of very much importance to the the Christian in this search for self-esteem, and one of them has to do with the attractiveness of the physical body. You see, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you like what you see? Do you prefer a a glimpse of yourself from here on up, or doesn't it bother you if you're in in front of a full-length mirror? What you see in the mirror is of importance, isn't it? And you see when we have blemishes or when we have injuries, or perhaps if we're born incomplete in some way, our body can really have a lot to do with how we see ourselves. And then there's people who have developed self-esteem primarily on successes and failures and tasks. You know, did you just complete a bankruptcy? I'll bet that affects how you see yourself. Or perhaps you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you see yourself as a total failure in terms of being married, raising kids. That certainly affects how we see ourselves, doesn't it? And then, you know, what did your parents think of you? Did your parents love and accept you? Or did you never quite measure up? Were you always just struggling to try to get them to accept you and to be pleased with you? Are you still spending a good share of your life trying to get your dad to accept you? Are you competing with him and with his track record? See, that's important to many of us. And then, how do you think God sees you? You see, uh, I think many people see God as a hard taskmaster who is just waiting for them to mess up so he can pounce on them. One person told me that she saw God as a big fly swatter in the sky, just waiting for her to land someplace. Your concept of God, of course, is going to have a lot with to do with your concept of yourself. And uh, how would God see you if he walked into the room right now? Would he walk up to you and He would he say, you know, you are a major disappointment to me. I mean, I hope you know that you never did measure up. Or would God just welcome you into his arms and tell you how he loves you and tell you that you are the one that he delights in, the one that he thinks about, a good share of his time. There's another issue that's of importance to many of us as we're growing up, and that's what our friends thought of us, what our peers thought of us. When you walked into the cafeteria at school, did everyone want you to come and sit by them? Or did you look for a corner of the room where you could sit sort of unobtrusively because you never knew if you were going to be accepted? You weren't one of the gang. You weren't one of the group. That has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? And see, it still may have a lot to do with how you see yourself as an adult. Are you popular or are you kind of a a loner? Maybe you're alone even when you're in a group. See, that all has a lot to do with self-esteem, whether we accept ourselves. Many times I ask people before they watch this video that you're about to see, I ask them, uh, are you a good Christian? Now, would you just answer that for a moment? Are you a good Christian? Do you see yourself as a good Christian? If so, why? Is it because you're so faithful in church? Is it because you help out in all the committees and you're serving other people regularly? Maybe you give liberally. You encourage a lot of folks. Or do you perhaps not see yourself as a good Christian because you messed up early in life? Perhaps you, you committed adultery. Perhaps you... Uh, just never could get that thought life under control. Perhaps you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Now, you don't see yourself as a good Christian, do you? I want you to watch this video. Keep that question in the back of your mind. As you watch the video, you're going to see several of the diagrams that are on the next few pages of your syllabus. And you're welcome to fill out these diagrams if you like as you watch the video or perhaps you may just want to sit back and relax hear all that the video has to say and then fill them in later from somebody else's syllabus it's up to you but when you get all through I think you need to ask yourself did I really understand what this law grace thing is all about do I really understand it now when we get finished I'm going to pray with you so you can appropriate which you learned in this video. And then, after we're through praying, on your own time, I'm going to ask you to turn several pages in your syllabus to this section that says, Who am I? I'd like you to read that tonight when you go home. The next several days, read these things out loud. Ask yourself, Do I really believe what the Bible says about me? Now, why don't you sit back and just watch this video and let God speak to your heart. Well, Carolyn, it's good to see you again. What's happened since last time, last week when I saw you?
1: Well, um, I'm not as nervous as I was. And it's my turn. During the first
0: meeting, yes.
1: Um, I thought about some of the things that I told you, and um, it started to make some sense to me that some of the negative things that happened in my life might have bearing on the way I'm
0: feeling now. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, what I'd like to do today is is to go through some of the things you shared with me. And you can correct anything that's incorrect in the way I perceived it or the way I heard it. And then I've prepared some things that I think will be helpful to you in setting you free from some of the issues that you brought up. Why don't we begin together with prayer? Father, we feel privileged to meet and discuss the ways in which you set people free, free from their past, free from a tremendous need to control, free from other things that bind. And we ask you, Lord, that as we talk together, that you'd give Carolyn freedom to communicate those things that are on her heart. And I ask you to make me very sensitive to what you're saying. And, Father, then we ask as we look at your word together that you would impart truth to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, Carolyn, last time when you came in, you told me you had two concerns, if I remember right. One is that you were becoming a very possessive and jealous and controlling wife. And the second thing you said is that you've been experiencing some eating disorder issues. Is that
1: right?
0: Yes. And When did that all start?
1: Um, about four or five years ago when I was in college and um, it kind of vacillated between not eating, going for long periods of time where I just didn't eat, I'd take my food and hide it in different places so my roommates wouldn't find it and um, to taking a lot of food up into my room and and just gorging and eating and then later going into the bathroom and um, vomiting it all up.
0: Okay. I know that when a person is experiencing those kinds of symptoms that there's a whole lot of looking within, looking at your body, a lot of self-centeredness really,
1: wouldn't you say? Yeah.
0: Okay. And we're going to watch that real closely, but I I really believe that as we look at God's way of setting people free, that he's going to set you free from that too. So while we continue to counsel in the weeks ahead, I ask you to keep me informed about that. Um, Do you go so far as vomiting? Did you say you did that? yeah
1: okay.
0: O- occasionally okay well we'll we'll keep on touch uh, on top of that, okay. and then I think you told me last time you were married, and you've been married about four years, but okay. there's no children yet um and then I asked you to describe your mother to me, and you told me that mother was a critical person, dominant and controlling uh she has a real temper, just like her mother, yes, okay. And that nothing you could do was good enough. Right. Uh, just about any time you would do something, she'd say, I'll do it myself. Yeah. So she was impatient. Mm-hmm. She manipulated the family through guilt, mainly. Yeah. Okay. And then um, she, she would say, I'm always right.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. She could get angry at things, get really angry. But then if any of us got angry, she would say, you know, be quiet. I don't want to hear that you don't have a right to you know
0: so show you that. you had to sort of suppress your feelings your emotions yeah it's all right for her to get angry but not not the rest of the family right okay and then you also told me that she monopolized conversation yes <laughs> probably is not aware she's doing it no okay. i don't think
1: so
0: okay and then we talked a little bit about your dad you said he was passive and cold and sort of aloof Um, could you give us an example of how that
1: well um, I think it was when I was seven or eight years old um, I remember one time climbing up in his lap and um, he looked down at me and he said what do you want and I didn't know what to say I mean Wanted a hug? No, no but he
0: yeah. made you feel real welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a terrible way to treat a child. And then you said that you sort of felt like you were always in his way.
1: Yes. He didn't have much time for the kids. He thought that um, kids were in the way. Most of the time, he didn't pay much attention yeah. to us.
0: Do you think, Carolyn, that you could say, my daddy loved me?
1: Not really. Hmm. That hurts. Yeah.
0: You told me that your dad was great at putting you down and um, children were sort of a pain in the neck for him, huh?
1: Yeah.
0: So you basically felt unwanted... Unneeded. Uh-huh. Okay. I know we're covering that a little quickly today, but this is just a review. Yeah. How uh, How did you get along with your peers? Did you feel accepted among your friends in junior high and high school and that sort of thing?
1: Well, um, I didn't have a big group of friends, really. I just mainly had one close friend. But um, with the girls, I never felt like I could measure up um, you know, they had nice clothes and, and, you know, pretty things, and, and I didn't really have any nice clothes, or I always felt a little inadequate in that area. And
0: so, so far, we're zero for three when it comes to acceptance.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Did you, uh, participate in any extracurricular activities or try to handle some of the rejection by
1: well, achievements? um no i I thought about um trying out for the tennis team once, but um I always was really insecure about the way I looked, my body, and of course, you have to um you know shower in the dressing room, and I just didn't want anybody seeing me so so,
0: so even though you developed the eating disorder more or less in college back there in junior high and high school, you didn't like what you saw oh,
1: no, hmm. that I felt like I was
0: yeah. And do you still see yourself as fat?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: And I would imagine if your husband or anyone else says, No, Carolyn, you're not I you don't believe hear it. Him. No. Okay. Well, then you mentioned to me last time that you went on to college and and uh, you ran into a few rejections and hurts there. Uh, you mentioned a professor that was Ooh. sort of negative yeah. about things.
1: He's my major was English and he was a professor in my sophomore year and he pulled me aside after class one day and told me that I ought to switch majors because intelligence was not my strong suit.
0: Wow. What did that do to you?
1: Well, it, just, it made me feel stupid, sort of reinforced everything I had felt before. Yeah.
0: No. Okay. So, did you finish college? Yeah. Okay. Now, you mentioned you have a brother and a sister, mm-hmm. and your brother's older, your sister's younger. Um how did you feel about your brother?
1: Well, my brother was the favorite, really. Mm. Um he's really intelligent, um always made really good grades, um good in sports and all. And pretty much the favorite. Of your parents? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. And what about your sister?
1: Um, my sister is, um, she's real pretty and she's, um, a real achiever. She got a lot of awards in high school and stuff. Mm.
0: And so you just didn't measure up?
1: No. No.
0: Okay. You're. You mentioned that your family teased you considerably. You said your opinion didn't count.
1: No, I was usually the butt of all the family jokes. Um, mm. If I said something, it usually ended up sounding pretty stupid. <laughs> mm. Mm.
0: So again, you feel that because you were told you weren't that smart that you're really not smart. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Um You said in the parents' marriage and your parents' marriage that mother really controlled your dad, and there wasn't much show of affection. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that affecting you in your marriage? The fact that you never had that demonstrated for you.
1: Um, Well, at first it wasn't because I thought, you know, it would be different with my husband. But um, you know, since all these problems have cropped up, it's been difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Carolyn, um, I know you told me that there was no real traumas in your life. But in a way, it sounds like your whole life has been a trauma—a lot of hurts and a lot of rejections. Um, let's talk about your husband and your marriage a little bit. How do you? How does your husband see you?
1: Well, um, he doesn't really understand how I feel about myself. He um, thinks it's crazy that I should feel you know, inadequate or inferior. Mm. He's so confident, you know.
0: So you married someone fairly strong.
1: Uh, Very strong.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. And um, does your husband believe in you? Does he really Um, think you're going to...
1: Well, I I thought he would, you know, and I thought his believing in me would sort of help me believe in myself, but he just... I'm too afraid to open up to him because I'm afraid he'll reject me. Mm. He sees you
0: know what's really going on inside yeah Hmm. has he rejected you
1: no not he stayed with me
0: okay (laughs) that's good to hear (gasps) carolyn i don't think i asked you very much last time about your history spiritually um now you are a christian Mm -hmm. what age did you become a christian
1: i was 15.
0: okay and what happened
1: um, uh my close friend and I went to um, a Young Life meeting in our high school, kind of a high school group, and um, I heard about Jesus there, and mm. so I asked him into my heart.
0: Okay. And what was your understanding of what Jesus did for you at that point?
1: Well, um, he forgave me my sins, mm-hmm. and um, he promised to take me to heaven when I died.
0: Okay. That's pretty much the total of what happened. Yeah. Okay. And did your life change at all at that point?
1: Well, um, I felt a little comfort because you know going to the meetings and um, they taught us to um, read the Bible and, and that was comforting for a while. It just doesn't seem to really help now. Mm.
0: Have you had any significant spiritual experiences since your new birth? Not really. Okay. Do you have any doubt that you're born again?
1: No. I, th- I think I'm definitely a Christian.
0: Okay. How well do you think you're meeting God's expectations?
1: Not that well, I don't think.
0: We're going to talk a little bit later about what he expected of you, so okay. we'll drop that now um, and go to go to something else. You know, as, as I listen to your, your life story and all the impact and things that happened to you. I'm sure that um, you're thinking, you know, uh, how could anyone go through all this and come out a whole being? But I'd like to have you just tell me, what do you think was the net effect of all this on your life?
1: <clears throat> well, I guess right now I feel um, real, really inferior And inadequate, um, like I don't measure up. Mm. You know, and and I feel like I'm always trying to be what everybody wants me to be, but I, I don't really know who I am. Okay. And.
0: So your identity changes depending on who you're around?
1: Yeah, I try to, um, when I'm with my family, I try to be the peacemaker. And, um, you know, if anything goes wrong, I know it's going to get blamed on me, so I try to correct it, and um, it just, it makes me really anxious, Mm. and um, I get depressed, and of course, most of the time, I have these feelings that I'm too fat, and that I'm not pretty, and...
0: You must be tired. Yeah. Do you ever think about hurting yourself?
1: Well, um, I I have before. I thought of it some in college, but I just thought, you know, I um, ought to try harder. Hmm. But uh, I've thought of it some recently. Do you have a plan? Um, <sighs> no, not not really specific, but. I mean, I think about it pretty often.
0: What do you think about doing? I know it may be hard to talk about, but I'd like to know.
1: I just sometimes feel like either taking, you know, pills and just ending my life and Finally getting rest. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Carolyn, I really believe that just in a short while, you're going to discover a rest that you haven't experienced before. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask you to promise me two things. One, I'm going to ask you to give counseling a chance. Would you be willing to do that? Just let us have some time together and give it a chance. Okay. And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is this. Would you promise to call me before you do anything like that?
1: Yeah. I promise.
0: Okay. That'd be good for you. I really think that there's answers for your life. Carolyn. Carolyn what i see happening with you is is that you're struggling to get control of your life would you agree with that yeah you're you're thinking that you know if i can only get control of things if i can only get control of my feelings if i can only get control of my behavior if i can only control the circumstances that surround my family and my relationship with my husband then everything's going to be all right and so in a real way, you look to me like you're a controller. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. I guess so. <clears throat>
0: okay. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you think you try to control your husband?
1: Yeah. Yeah, try to change him and subtly, but try to change the way he acts.
0: Do your parents accept him?
1: No. They don't they don't <sighs> they don't like him really
0: so in order to have peace and acceptance from your parents you have to change him Yes. and i would assume he doesn't want to be changed
1: no. and i'm always constantly trying to smooth things over between them
0: Okay. can you think of it, other ways you're, you're controlling uh, not necessarily your husband but
1: well i just um i try to make people like me um, I try to control the situation, I try to laugh at their, their jokes and, I don't know, try to make them look at me in, in a way that, that's, that's good.
0: Okay. Well, the things that you're sharing are really helpful and uh, I would like to just show you some things now that I think will really uh, be useful in helping you understand God's way of setting you free from this tremendous need to control. And from this tremendous drive you have to try to get your needs met through other people. Uh, Because really, you're trying to get all your acceptance needs met through performance, aren't you? Does that make sense to you? Uh huh. Okay. The first diagram I want to show you, Carolyn, is this one. What I've done is I've put your name over here and I put all the people that we've talked about over here so that we're really talking about how well you met expectations uh, the expectations of your mother, Mm -hmm. of your father, of your friends in school, your peers, Uh of your brother and sister and then of God and then of yourself. And what I'd like you to do um, just to help you understand this is tell me something if you were going to rate or evaluate yourself on a scale one to ten in how well you've met the expectations of your mother with ten being the very best, one being the very worst. Where would you rate yourself?
1: For well, my mother? Um, about,
0: uh, three. All right. So we're gonna fill that in like that. How about your dad? How well do you think you met his expectations?
1: Um, probably even lower. Probably a two.
0: Okay. Mother at least would talk to you, Yeah. Okay, and your friends in school, how well do you think you met their expectations?
1: um probably uh six
0: okay, it's probably a little better than I thought, but uh we'll accept that, and then your brother and sister in terms of meeting their expectations
1: mm, four
0: okay. <clears throat> Now, God what what did you do in terms of meeting God's expectations? Now I'm talking about in your own mind.
1: Um guess a three, maybe.
0: Okay. And yourself. Now, I know many times we're our own worst enemies, you know, we're our own worst critics. How well do you think you met your own expectations?
1: About, about a two.
0: Okay. You are your worst critic, aren't you? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <Okay>. My father. <laughs> okay. Now, Carolyn, what we could say from this is is that, you know, the, where I fill these in, mm-hmm. that that's the degree to which you've met expectations of yourself or of others, met their expectations, but this distance right here is the measure to which you disappointed yourself or you failed to meet expectations, wouldn't you say?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the way you rate yourself, you really failed to meet people's expectations more than you, uh, you've you met them, right? Right. Okay. Now, let's go on with this and let me show you something else. <clears throat> I'd like to change some words on you now, and I'm just going to ch- change this word expectation to standards, because really the expectations that people had for you were all standards which you tried to meet, weren't they?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And standards are really laws. Every law that we try to measure up to is really a standard. It's an expectation that we have for ourselves. So we could say, in a sense, that as you try to meet these people's expectations, you've really been under sort of a law system. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now, before we develop that further, I'm going to go on to uh, uh, another one, and this is going to be the expectations that your mother had for you. You see, I put your mother's name on this line here. And let's just talk about some of the expectations that mother had for you. What are some of the things that come to mind?
1: Um, to make good grades. All right.
0: Cool. Good grades.
1: Um, to keep my emotions to myself, to control.
0: Stifle yourself,
1: huh? <laughs> Suppress feelings. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay suppress feelings
1: um, for me to do what she said
0: all right obedience
1: to um, not to embarrass the family
0: don't embarrass the family name
1: yeah don't say anything stupid
0: okay don't embarrass that's an important one for a lot of people can you think of anything else?
1: Um, she wanted me to look good all the time,
0: all she right. compared
1: me to my sister
0: a lot. Look good. Then we better put that next one down too, um, compete or measure up yeah. to your your brother and sister. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to put measure up to sibs. Okay. Anything else come to mind? We don't have to fill up all the spaces.
1: All I can think of.
0: All right. Now, let's just uh, spend a little time doing the same thing with this. How well do you think you did in the grade department in terms of meeting expectations?
1: About a five, maybe. C student? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Pretty average.
0: All right. Suppressing feelings. Did you succeed at that?
1: I succeeded pretty well up until now.
0: (laughs) So what do you want to give yourself?
1: Um, probably eight.
0: Okay. Eight. All right. Obedience? It
1: seemed like no matter what I did, it wasn't right. So probably about four or five.
0: All right. And how about embarrassing the family? Did you think you did that?
1: Constantly. About a three.
0: All right. Looking good?
1: About a three.
0: Measuring up to your brother and sister? Two. Okay. Didn't do so well on that one, did you? Now, here again, we could say the same thing. This is the degree to which you've met expectations, and this would be the measure of disappointment you had in yourself for not meeting those expectations. Let's do one more. And then I'm gonna show you how we use this. <clears throat> Next one, I've put God on the line. What do you think were some of God's expectations of you?
1: Um, after I became a Christian? Yeah. To um re- read the Bible.
0: Okay. And read the word.
1: To pray. And um, Probably to be in a Bible study. Some sort of group. All right. To go to church.
0: Attend church.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, probably just, you know, help people. Like, we'll do nice things for them, you know. Okay.
0: Be helpful.
1: Yeah. That's all I can think of.
0: Did you ever hear about witnessing?
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: How'd you do with that?
1: Terrible. (laughs) Okay. I didn't have too much to say.
0: All right. It's nice to go to heaven, but in the meantime, it was trouble. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've done enough on that one. Now, I'm not going to fill this one in because I think you're getting the idea. You probably wouldn't give yourself very good marks on on any of these, right? Right. Okay. Let's go back to uh, the first one that we were looking at and that had to do with um just meeting the standards of mom and dad and and peers and siblings um i think that'd be a good one to to expand on now we've talked about all these people having expectations of you and that you had to meet these standards or laws and let me tell you what i think happens to many people at this point you see when you came into the world You see these little semicircles down here? Mm -hmm. When you came into the world, you were in Adam. Now, that simply means you were separated from God. And what happened to Adam happened to you. So that when he sinned, you were in him. When he was condemned, you were in him. When he died, you died. What happened to Adam happened to you. And you see, people who are separated from God have no choice but to live out of their own resources. Does that make sense? Mm See, when you accepted Christ, God not only forgave you, but he gave life to you. But before you accepted Christ, you had only one option, and that was to, to gut it out, you know, out of your own resources, to live by the best that your mind had to offer, the best your emotions had to offer, the best your will had to offer, the best that your physical strength had to offer. And, and so you did. But there's something else that's, that's a characteristic of people who are in Adam, who are separated from God, and we're going way back to before you were saved. And and the other thing that was characteristic of them is that when you're joined to Adam, like this diagram shows, when you're joined to Adam, you're in a system. And the system says this. Not only do you have to try to find your way to God by achievements, but we try to make ourselves acceptable by achievements. And, of course, nobody can find God through achievements. Nobody can reach God through good works. We learn that At an early age when we become Christians or just before but even though people know they can't find God or achieve their way to God through works through achievements they often think that they can uh, make themselves better make themselves acceptable through achievements by meeting standards and so what happened to you is that at the time that you came to Christ you accepted what he did for you you accepted Christ as your Savior And you said you asked him into your life. But then you continue to try to make yourself acceptable to God, to everybody around you, by meeting these standards. The same way that people in Adam do. And uh, you're tired. See, You're so discouraged at times you think about committing suicide. You just can't make it. And so what I want to do with you is to show you the way out of this. And I really believe that what I'm going to share with you is God's way out. Now, let's look at this. You see, what I see most Christians doing at this point in time is they know they're not meeting these standards, they know they can't make it, but what they do is they uh, say, well, praise God, you know, Christ died for my sins, and so if I just confess my shortcomings, if I just confess my sins and receive forgiveness because of the shed blood of Christ, then uh, I'm cleansed, I'm washed, and tomorrow I'll try again, see? And so the next day, they try again, and guess what they do that night? Confess, admit they failed, receive forgiveness, and try again, confess, admit they failed, and try again. Does that ring a bell? Yes. All right. You know what this reminds me of? This struggle to try to meet standards and meet people's expectations, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of a treadmill. And you see, it's true God has forgiven us. It's true we can find the cleansing. But if we don't go any further than this, if we just stay within the system trying to meet expectations, trying to make ourselves acceptable to what we do and don't do, we're going to get tired. And the Bible tells us that this is really... um, functioning under a law system but we think that because we're experiencing forgiveness that it's okay see but you know the Jews knew about forgiveness didn't they sure they just sacrificed animals uh-huh. and they believed then that their sins were covered and what we've done is we substituted Christ for the animals and of course Christ is the last sacrifice but if we don't move out of this system of trying to find acceptance by what we do and don't do, we're just never going to find any peace. Now, I'd like to show you some scriptures that I think are really important for you to understand. Let's turn in in this Bible to uh, Romans chapter 7 and see what this has to say. Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to ask you to read verses 4, 5, and 6. All right?
1: Okay.
0: you mind reading out loud? No. Okay. Romans 4, 5, and 6.
1: Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, and not in oldness of the letter.
0: Okay. Now, let's just look at that and and elaborate on that. It says, while you were under the law, when you were under a system trying to meet standards, trying to meet expectations for acceptance, when that happened, you bore fruit for death. Now, do you know what that fruit for death is? I think it's what you're experiencing. I think it's feelings of inferiority and insecurity I think it's jealousy I think it's self-protection I think it's control I think it's tiredness from not being able to keep up you see It's, it's perfectionism all those things wear you out right they do I think so and then You confess that you're not strong enough. You receive forgiveness, and you try harder. But you're at a point where you don't believe in this anymore, do you? No. No.
1: Because I always fail again.
0: That's right. Now, these verses say that when you were under the law, God did something. And in in, I think in verse 4, it says that... uh, he said you were made to die to the law and in verse 6 it's he says but now we have been released from the law see God knew this treadmill wasn't gonna work and so what he did is he killed you he said I'm gonna rescue you from that Maybe, maybe people are going to make you stay under that system in order to meet their expectation. But Carolyn, he says, I'm going to rescue you. And the way I'm going to rescue you is I'm going to put you in Christ. And when the Lord Jesus died, you died. And see, when you were crucified with Christ, you were rescued from the system of having to meet expectations in order to find acceptance. Let me show you another verse. Over here in uh, Galatians chapter 2. Could you read this, please? And and why don't you read verses 20 and 21?
1: I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died need, needlessly.
0: Okay. Do you see that it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and the whole purpose of that in this context was to rescue from the law system? Mm -hmm. I do not nullify the grace of God, for his righteousness comes by the law. (laughs) You see, I think where we make some mistakes is this. People are thinking, well, if I receive forgiveness and I'm cleansed, that's what makes me acceptable and good in God's sight. But that's not right what makes me, what what forgiveness does and what cleansing does is it removes unrighteousness it removes self-righteousness it removes achieved righteousness it removes the negative but that's not where the positive comes yet we have to go to another system to understand where we're going to get good self-esteem where we're going to receive what we really need to make us what we really want to be so forgiveness is important But it took away the negative. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Would you read those four verses to the end of the chapter?
1: What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed.
0: Okay. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles found righteousness and the Jews didn't? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. See, the Jews thought that they could meet these standards just by trying harder, and they thought they could become good by what they did do and what they didn't do. See, it's important what you do, but it was also important to them what they didn't do. And uh, I have a friend by the name of Bob Bingham who says, you know, when they couldn't meet these standards, he says what they did is they just lowered them a little bit so they could they could meet them. See, now, in a sense, I see you doing the same thing. You know about forgiveness. You know about getting to heaven. But you're still trying to meet all these standards. We might say you're a Jew in Christian clothing.
1: Never thought of it that way.
0: Yeah. Okay. And remember the Jews knew about removal of sins. They knew about that. Okay. Now, he says, the Gentiles, man, he says, they realized they'd never make it. This system would never work. You know, they knew that they could not achieve the standards, make the standards. And so they just said, well, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, forget it. And God came along in the person of Christ. And he says, I'm going to offer you a whole different system. I'm going to take you out of this system and I'm going to put you into another system. And we're going to call that system the gift system. So remember God crucified you and removed you from the treadmill, and he transferred you, and he's going to put you in a whole new system, and we're going to call this the gift system. So I'm going to write gift system right up here, and let's just look at what that, has, what that means. Let's read the first four verses of chapter 10.
1: Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes.
0: Okay. Paul had a tremendous concern for his Jewish friends. And he's telling the Romans, he's writing this book to the Romans, and he says, Brethren, Well, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for my Jewish friends is that they be saved. For I bear them witness they have a zeal for God but it's not enlightened because they're still seeking to establish their own righteousness and they don't understand that righteousness comes by faith. And whose righteousness does he say becomes ours? What does it say here?
1: God's righteousness.
0: All right. They did not... They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, you see, in the gift system, God says, no more working for it. It won't work. You can't measure up. And he says, look, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift I'm going to give you is my righteousness. Now, Carolyn, let's think about that for a moment. If, If you receive a gift, the very second you received it, Whose is it? It's
1: mine.
0: All right. But you didn't have to achieve it. It was given, wasn't it? Freely given. Mm-hmm. So when God gave you the gift of the Lord Jesus, do you understand that in the package was God's righteousness? Mm-hmm. All right. And where did he put that? He put go- he put his righteousness right here in your spirit. So if he gave you his righteousness and you accepted it as a gift, then whose righteousness is that?
1: mine
0: it's my righteousness that's right okay now you didn't get that by meeting standards but when God gave you his righteousness and you accepted it as your own how righteous did that make you
1: perfectly righteous all right as righteous as he is
0: do we dare to say that <laughs> as righteous as he is now our walk measured by standards may not always reflect that. But God put us under a different system. The gift system says, I gave it to you by grace. So, see, the gift system is really a grace system. And whereas the former system was a treadmill, or we could say an achieving system, this is a receiving system takes all the pain of it out of it, doesn't he? Okay. Now, do you remember what Jesus said? I think it was in Matthew 5, 28, thereabouts. He said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect.
1: I can never live up to that.
0: You couldn't by the achieving system, could you? But, Do you see if he gave you his righteousness for your righteousness? Do you see then that his righteousness is perfect? Yeah. So guess what?
1: You live up to it.
0: You live up to it just by receiving. It's too good to be true, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. It's hard to believe.
0: It sure is. And then guess what happens? when we have to when we stop trying to achieve it live up to people's expectations god's expectations all these things that we think are god's expectations they're not really then romans 7 verse 6 i believe says that we bear fruit for god instead of bearing fruit for death we bear fruit for god Mm -hmm. so what happens is that as we understand that this provides new identity as this this gets us off the treadmill, we're so filled with praise and with joy that out of our inner being will flow a desire to pray, a desire to witness, a desire to discover in the Word what I have, to get to know what I have in the person of Christ. And so out of you will flow rivers of living water. You'll bear fruit for God that won't be because you have to it'll be because it just flows out of you well there's a lot we could say but you know as I think about you I see that your whole self image your all your identity came out of your experiences and what happened to you your relationship with people your relationship to failing and meeting standards and now you can see that your relationship and your self-esteem will come not because of what you've done or haven't done but because of what he gave you his own righteousness for your righteousness do you think then that you're a good person yes you can't help but be and you didn't have to do anything just accept the gift Well, there's a lot of verses that we could read. But you know, in this this uh, chapter 10 of, of Romans, when, when he talks about that God's righteousness is our righteousness, really we could say in verse 4 here, Christ is the end of the law system for acceptance to everyone who believes. No more struggling. To be acceptable. He did away from that system. Carolyn, I would suspect that being so tired as you are, that you're ready just to accept what's already yours, but to accept it by faith. I am. All right. You're all through being a Jew in Christian clothing.
1: <laughs> I'm through.
0: Okay. And I just want to emphasize, I'm not minimizing forgiveness, it's terribly important. If we had not been forgiven, we could not have received life, Christ's life. And if we hadn't received Christ's life, we wouldn't have his righteousness. But that's what makes us the kind of people we have to be. And so, you know, when I get to heaven, if Jesus asked me, why should I let you in? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say, first of all, you forgave me, and that got rid of all the garbage. And then I'm going to say, you gave me your righteousness for my righteousness, and you can't find any fault with that. Good answer. (laughs) I'm going to ask you, uh, since you're uh, really understanding this, I think, in a meaningful way, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't like to pray at this point. And what I would suggest to you is that you pray something like this. Father, I'm so tired of being on a treadmill. I'm so tired of trying to measure up to people's expectations. I'm so tired of trying to measure up to my own expectations. And Lord, I'm going to accept the way out. I just accept my faith that when you died, I died with you. And you rescued me from this system, this law system, this Adamic system. And as a Christian, I have no business being under that. And I accept your righteousness for my righteousness. And I just affirm, Lord, that because of what you gave me, I can say I'm perfect in Christ. Now, you can say that in your own words, but do you think you're ready to pray that way?
1: Yes,
0: definitely. Why don't don't you do that?
1: Dear Lord, I have been on a treadmill and I've been trying to please everyone
0: my mom and
1: my dad and my husband and I've been trying to please myself and and live up to all the expectations that everyone had of me and most of all I've been trying to live up to the expectations that you have had of me and I see now that I don't have to do that And I want to thank You for giving me this gift of a receiving system instead of an achieving system. And I want to thank You that I don't have to work for righteousness, and I don't have to work to please You or other people, but that You have given me Your own righteousness, Mm. and You have given me Your life. And I thank you for that. Amen.
0: Father, I too thank you that you've brought Carolyn to this marvelous point in her life where just being tired through crashing and burning, you've shown her there's another way. And so, Father, we thank you for grace. I thank you for grace. I thank you for your righteousness. And, Father, I pray that you'll teach Carolyn in the weeks ahead how to begin to communicate this. Lord, plant your word within her mind as she studies it so she'll never forget it. And we thank you, Father, for making it so so easy and so simple. We don't want to stumble over the stumbling stone. And tonight we affirm that we're past that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Carolyn, do you understand now why the Scripture says we can rest in Christ in what He's given us? See, you've met all His demands. And God's interested in your behavior but no longer for righteousness. I'm going to ask you to memorize a verse. Verse. And the verse I'd like to have you memorize is in 2 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And this is what it says. Would you read that, please?
1: He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
0: Okay. Okay. You think you can memorize that for next time? All right. I think so. Now, I'm just going to show you one more short little thing. It won't take long, but I just want to show you uh, Paul's treadmill. All right?
1: Okay.
0: Philippians chapter 3 tells us that Paul had his own treadmill. And he says what that was, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was an Israeli. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. He wasn't adopted. He didn't wander into town from some other country, no. and pretend. He said I was a Pharisee. He said I was a persecutor of the church for zeal. And he said I was blameless. Now, when he says he was blameless, you know what that means? All these were standards that he had met. He was a 10 all the way across. And he says, he says, I count this all as refuse. All as garbage next to the excellency of knowing Christ's righteousness for my righteousness being conformed to his death and so Paul had his own treadmill and see these were the things that impressed him these things that you talked about are the things that impressed you but it didn't work for him and it won't work for you I'm going to ask you to read for next time Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through about 11 Okay. and uh, we'll write that down after we're finished here And then, finally, there's one more thing. There's a book that I think could be real helpful to you. It's called Tired of Trying to Measure Up by Jeff Van Vonderen. And on the cover it says, Getting Free from the Demands, Expectations, and Intimidations of Well-Meaning People. Does it sound like something (laughs) you'd like to read?
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Yes. Why don't you pick that up in the bookstore outside? And uh, I just think it would be helpful to you. Okay. Now, I would suspect that you know a lot more than most Christians in terms of this topic. And I'm trusting by faith that uh, it will already have set you free. I think it has. All right. Go in peace. And I'll see you next time.
1: Thank
0: you. You're welcome. Can you identify with the lady who was struggling so hard? Not only to find identity, but even more importantly, to know whether or not she is acceptable. In your syllabus, you have a page that says, What determines who I am? And I'd like to look at that with you as we continue our discussion for just a few minutes on this matter of the believer's righteousness. You see on this page that there are two families listed there. and You've seen them before. There's Christ's family and there's Adam's family. In Christ's family, you'll notice that life has no beginning and no end. And, of course, that's the family that you're born into once you're born again. The second family, Adam's family, had a definite beginning, but it has no end. We don't call that an eternal life or an eternal existence. We call that an everlasting existence because, you see, it has beginning but no end. And that's the difference between everlasting and eternal. Eternal has no beginning and no end. And and an everlasting existence has a beginning, but no end. Now, at the time, of course, that you were uh, crucified with Christ, you were taken out of Adam, and you were placed into Christ Jesus. Now, I share with people that the righteousness that is available to us becomes ours by birth and by gift. Perhaps you have been taught about righteousness, and you've been taught about imputed Righteousness. That's an important concept because it's biblical. But you see, an imputed righteousness is not quite the same as what the Bible calls the gift of righteousness because that gift of righteousness is what really changes us. Now, how did righteousness become ours by birth? When you and I came into the world, our parents had to give us something in order for us to be born. What did they give us? Well, we could say that they gave us life. When I came out of the womb, my parents had given me a life. And whose life was that the very second I was born? You would say, well, Lee, that was your life. The life that your parents gave you was your life. Well, what did God give you when you were born again? And you know the answer to that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave us life. Whose life did he give us? The answer to that is, of course, he gave us Christ's life. Well, why is the life that God give us, give, why is the life that God gave us Christ's life, and why is the life that our parents gave us our life? You see, why can't the life that God gave me be my life? Now, many people, of course, are afraid of deifying man, and we cannot deify man because uh, that's an impossibility. But nevertheless, the Bible makes some wonderful statements to us. In Colossians chapter 3, where you really come to hear this whole exchange life message in four verses, the first four verses, we read this. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, or is revealed, some versions say, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, do you notice what a clear statement verse 4 says? When Christ, who is our life... You see, when Christ came into you, when God gave Himself to you, the Bible concludes that Christ became our life, even as your parents' life became yours. Well, when Christ became our life by birth, then just as you received everything that your parents were when you were born in your first birth by partaking of their life, so now we've partaken of everything that Christ is when we partook of our second birth. You know, when my parents gave life to me, I partook of all that they were in the sense that their genes and their chromosomes became mine. And even their property became mine in a sense. I referred to the car as our car. The farm is our farm. The house is our house. Now that all changed, of course, when I got married. But in much the same way, when God gave himself to you and he concluded that the Christ life was your life, then all that he was became yours. His peace became your peace. His patience became your patience. His kindness became your kindness. His love became your love. His joy became your joy, and His righteousness became your righteousness by birth. Do you understand that? But there's a second way in which God's righteousness becomes our righteousness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness by gift. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And there we read, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So often we hear today that Christians are coping. We have to cope with life. We have to cope with stress. And then we hear about people who are survivors. Survivors of dysfunctionality. Survivors of alcoholic parents, survivors of various kinds. Now, do you want to be a coper? Do you want to be a survivor? Or would you like to reign in life? You see, this verse tells us there's two things necessary if we are to reign in life. And that is this. We have to receive the abundance of grace and we have to receive the gift of righteousness. Some years ago, I was in Phoenix getting ready for a conference, and I dropped my watch on the floor as I was preparing to go to the conference. Now, the watch broke, of course. That's usually the case. And so I said to the host of the conference that day, his name was John, I said, John, would you keep me on time today? Would you tell me what time to start and when it's time to end? And He says, Lee, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you my watch. He says, John... I don't really want your watch. You need it. Just keep me on time today. He says, no, I'm going to give you my watch as a gift. I said, John, you know, I can really get a new watch when I get back to Denver. Just keep me on time today. He says, no, I'm going to give you my watch as a gift. I said, well, why? He said, because I want a better one. Now, John is a believer that if you give, it shall be given back to you, you know, running over, all that sort of thing. He he believed in multiplication. So I had to do him the favor of accepting his watch as a gift. Now, when he gave me his watch, everything about that watch became mine. You see, the crystal became mine. The band became mine. The stem became mine. All the wheels and pulleys and everything that was inside of that watch became mine. Well, so it is when you receive the gift of the Lord Jesus The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you receive the abundance of grace, that is, if you begin to understand this message I'm sharing with you about grace, who we are in Christ, and if you understand then that God gave you the gift of His righteousness for your righteousness, you can reign in life. Reign while you're still living here below. Wouldn't you rather reign than just cope Wouldn't you rather reign than survive? You see, this righteousness is what makes us the kind of new identity that we are in Christ. It's what makes us acceptable to God. Too often, we don't learn how to switch systems. We spend our whole life trying to become acceptable by what we do and what we don't do. I spent much of my life not only trying to figure out what I could get by with and still be acceptable, but also figuring out, what I could not do. It seems so important. But really, don't you see, that that is part of the law system? That acceptance today has to do with God making us acceptable? What a wonderful thing. God took us off of this treadmill of trying to measure up. And he said, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm just going to give you what you need to become acceptable. And then you will be acceptable to me. But so many of us say, well, I know that God has given me righteousness, but that still doesn't make me acceptable to myself. I would just invite you to study the scriptures that we've talked about. Determine whether or not the Bible is really saying what I'm saying to you. But let me share with you some deceptions. You'll find a place to write them on the bottom of this page in your syllabus, what determines who I am. I want to share with you some possible deceptions regarding righteousness because, you see, I think that we have gone to great lengths to try to find ways to believe this and yet not believe it. And why don't we dare to believe that we are the righteousness of God? Because we don't feel like we're the righteousness of God, because sometimes we don't act like we're the righteousness of God, and because we've got long memories of things that we've done in the past that indicate we're not the righteousness of God. So what are some of these deceptions? Let me assure you I've used each one of them in my history. The first one is what I call the blackboard erasure theory. I think many, many people believe that what makes them acceptable to God is that their sins are forgiven. Now certainly that is part of it. Having our sins forgiven is very important. But you see, I think there's some people who think that if I can only keep an up-to-date confessed sins list, if I can only keep all my sins erased, by confession and asking for forgiveness, well, then I will continuously be acceptable to God. Now, we could illustrate that by asking you, what would happen if, for example, you committed five sins today and thought word or deed, and then at the end of the day you confessed those sins, you received your forgiveness. Where would that put you? Well, that wouldn't put you in the plus column. You would have jumped from a minus five to a zero. You see, forgiveness only gets rid of unrighteousness. It gets rid of self-righteousness, work-righteousness. It doesn't give us righteousness. Cleansing is important, but it doesn't make you acceptable to God. It just gets rid of the negative. It doesn't give you a positive. Our positive comes from what we received in Christ. When Christ became life to us, He became righteousness to us. It was so important. In Romans chapter 10, we read that the that the Jews did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, but they sought to establish their own. A little earlier I asked you, have you been spending your life trying to become a good Christian? If you have, how did you do that? By keeping all your sins confessed? By trying hard not to sin? By trying to do good works? Well, those are important things to do, but they'll never make you righteous. You know that that's all self-righteousness. Now the second major deception that I used, and perhaps you've used as well, is what I call the "as if" theory. And that theory says this: God looks at me as if I'm righteous. Well, then, are you? Aren't you? You see, we hardly dare to say I am the righteousness of God, do we? So we'll say God looks at us, looks at us as if we're righteous. Well, then, are you? Aren't you? Does He put on his dark glasses and pretend? You see, that's not what's taught in Scripture. A third theory is what we might call the blind spot theory. And that theory goes like this, that God doesn't really see me. He just sees Christ in me. Now, why wouldn't he want to see me? You see, if I have become the righteousness of God in Christ, then why wouldn't he want to see me? See, here again, it's because of unbelief. People don't really believe that they're righteous. And then there's a theory that I call the filter theory. And that one goes like this. God the Father's in heaven, and then there's Jesus Christ, and then there's me. And when God looks through Jesus Christ, the filter, and sees me, He sees me without all the impurities. So He sees me righteous. My friends, you and I don't need a filter. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And you and I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. He gave us His own. Isn't that acceptable? Does he still need to have a filter before he looks at me? Doesn't the Bible say that God came to make sinners righteous? I was a sinner. Did he succeed? The next major deception is this, what we'll call the future, but not present theory. In other words, I'll be righteous when I get to heaven. Don't you understand? I need to be righteous now, I need to be acceptable now. See, in heaven, everything's going to be okay. It's now that I'm in trouble. It's now that I needed to be the righteousness of God. And then there's the positional theory. And I believe many, many Christians believe that righteousness is just positional. And what they mean by that is this. That Christ is righteous on our behalf. It's sort of like we have a, a credit account someplace. God credits us with His righteousness, but it, see, it never becomes experientially mine. That's not good enough. That's a deception. And then we could call the last theory, the last deception, the ever present but theory. Now, what I mean by that is this. We hear so many people say things like this I'm righteous in the eyes of God, but. When you hear the word but, beware, there's something coming. That should not be there. It's in my eyes that I'm righteous. Are you righteous in your eyes? You see, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about believers being clothed with righteousness. But we have it better than that. Do you know that in the New Testament, the Bible says we're indwelt by righteousness? Now, would you just want to merely be clothed? Do you want to be indwelt? Do you want to be identified as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now that you've heard this message, you have to decide if you believe it. And if you believe it, the Bible says over and over again that this only becomes ours by faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, you see, God has made it available to us. It's all, all, it's all ours in Christ. But you will not experience it until you appropriate it by faith. And that means that you have to decide if you're going to believe that you're the righteousness of God. You must decide that. If you don't decide it, you will spend the rest of your life trying to become a good Christian. But if you believe that the Bible teaches that God has given us this wonderful gift in Christ Jesus, then you need to say pray the same prayer that this young lady prayed on the videotape. And the prayer goes like this. I just invite you to close your eyes. I'll just say a sentence and then you say it after me. Say it silently to the Lord if you like. But if you believe this message, then pray this prayer. Father, I admit That I have labored on a treadmill, trying to meet standards for acceptance, bearing fruit for death. I thank you that when I was crucified with Christ, you removed me from an achieving system, and you placed me into a receiving system. I do hereby accept the gift of your righteousness, which is now my righteousness. From now on, no matter what my feelings, memories, behaviors, the world or Satan tells me, I agree with your word that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by God's grace. And then sign your name to this prayer and syllabus. How does it feel to be the righteousness of God? Well, even if you don't feel it, by God's grace you are. You see, you now are a good Christian. This concludes Session 6 of the Grace Life Conference. To continue, please move on to Session 7.